Heavenly Father, we do indeed adore you as the Father who speaks to his children. And Lord, we come before you this morning and ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Lord, we pray that what we hear from your word this morning may be an encouragement to us to become more like your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that your Holy Spirit's uh, power may be working in us as we read from your word now, as we hear your word preached, so that we can indeed become more like your Son. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I think all of you would agree that rest is a good thing. Some days when I've worked particularly hard and found it uh, a hard slog, I've started early in the morning and gone through uh, till most, uh, till, uh, into the evening, I find that the greatest part of the day is lying down in bed, putting my head on the pillow, breathing a sigh of relief and falling off to sleep almost immediately. There's nothing better sometimes than a nice bed with a nice pillow in a dark room. And, of course, I wear earplugs to bed as well, um, which isn't always the most helpful for Jill when uh, children are crying in the night and I need to go and help them. Uh, but, yes, to have silence, darkness, soft pillow, soft bed, and to be really fatigued from a hard day of work, there's nothing better. Rest is good. And this morning we're going to look at the subject of rest, and particularly God's eternal rest. We're going to be looking at this subject as we've come to it in Hebrews, which we've been working through. We've been seeing previously in Hebrews chapter 3, the punishment that is given for unbelief. God has uh, said in the past uh, to Israelites that they will be punished for their unbelief, for their sin, and he uh, held good to that and did indeed punish the Israelites, particularly with their time in the desert, that they spent many, many years there walking around in the desert and did not enter into a rest. And this week, we're going to start looking at the subject of rest and particularly that this is through belief. God has previously said, if you're an unbeliever, then you will be punished. Now we're going to look at the subject of if you are a believer, what happens to you? What do you get if you are a believer? It looks like it's a very bad thing to be an unbeliever. Why is it good to be indeed a believer? And that is because we can find rest in God. We have God's rest. Now, in this passage and in the Bible, God's rest can mean different things at different times. And uh, in the case of the Israelites, back when they left Egypt and started to wander around in the desert and were promised a rest, it was a different type of rest that we will look at this morning that the author of Hebrews wants to focus on. Uh, their rest was, of course, the promised land itself, Israel. This promised land that they were entering into. And it was going to be a rest. How was it going to be a rest? Well, they were going to have rest from their enemies. They, of course, weren't going to have any trouble with the Egyptians anymore, making them make bricks. Um, they were going to have their own land and have rest from their enemies there. They were going to have rest even from the hard labor of getting food. Yes, they would have to get some food, but it was meant to be a land flowing with milk and honey where God sends rain onto the land and they would be very prosperous there. They wouldn't have to work as hard. And so there would be rest, not just from enemies, but rest from food. And the other thing they could rest from by being in the promised land was, of course, they could rest from living in tents. God promised them again and again that you will be able to have houses to live in. 
which I always think is a wonderful thing to recognize because it seems that when people today go on rest vacations, they seem to make hard work for themselves by getting tents up, by having to construct tents. And it doesn't seem like restful uh, time to me at all. They have to build a house to sleep in, and then it's not the nicest of houses. Uh, it's very thin. If it rains, it's miserable. Whereas God says, you can now go into this promised land where you will have places to live that are not tents and you'll be able to rest in these houses and these houses you don't even have to build. People have already built them, you'll just take over them. And so this was the rest that God had promised the Israelites. But God also promises an eternal rest as well, a rest in heaven, a cessation from hard labour. We still find it hard work in this world. The Israelites, even when they were in the promised land, it was still hard work for them to, to uh, plant the crops and to uh, harvest the crops. It was hard work. Whereas we are looking forward to an eternal rest where things will be easy and nice and pleasurable there, where thorns and thistles will not, no longer affect work uh, and that we can actually take some rest there, which will be wonderful to go to. And that is what the author is now going to focus his attention on, this eternal rest that we look forward to. But should we look forward to this eternal rest? Is this eternal rest that is in heaven something that we indeed can know that we can have? Is it true that we can enter into God's eternal rest or has the door been closed? Has the window of opportunity been shut and we don't have an opportunity to go into this eternal rest? Well, that's what I want to look at firstly this morning. The promise of entering God's rest is still standing. If you've got a bulletin there, you can see my main points on there. And so you see that first one is the promise of entering God's rest is still standing. And we read that in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Hebrews. If you've got a black church Bible, it's on page 1186, 1186. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The promise of God's eternal rest still stands. It, the door has not been closed. We can still enter into God's eternal rest. And this is such a profound statement because it tells us so much about who God is. The fact that his promise is still in effect and that we can still cash in on it. It tells us that God is a God who is still alive, one who is eternal in nature, that he can keep on, he can make a promise and keep it because he is one who is still there to cash it in. God is unchanging, that his promise, when he makes a promise, he doesn't change his mind and go back on it, which of course flows into the fact that God is a just God. When he makes a promise, he doesn't lie and go back on it. He is one who holds to those promises because he knows justice. He is righteousness itself. And so we see the fact that that promise is still standing shows the justice of God. And of course we see in the fact that the promise is still standing that God is indeed a merciful, gracious and good God. He did not have to keep this promise going on and offer it to people again and again through history. Instead, he could have not kept that promise. And he could have offered it to certain people, but not to everyone. 
And so we see here his goodness and his graciousness and his mercy in that that promise still stands today, that he made it a promise that would go on for generation after generation. And then this means that it is an amazing privilege that this promise of entering his rest still stands. It's like God has written a check and given it to you of an inheritance of this wonderful land with much treasure there, with lovely people to be around. He's given it to you. And you can cash that check in because he is still around. It's terrible if you get a check for a large amount of money, but you find out that it's decades old and the person who wrote that check is no longer in existence and the bank account that that check was originally written for is no longer in existence and so there's no money there for you to cash in. But God, with this check that he has given you, this promise he has made, he is still there to cash it in and it is an amazing privilege for us to be able to cash that check in and have eternal life. So if that promise is still standing and that wonderful rest is still there to be had, why don't people accept God's rest? Why don't people inherit this eternal life? Why do they not take Jesus up, God up, on this offer that he makes? Is it because they don't know about the offer? Could it be that they just are ignorant of the fact that there is this promise out there? Well... That leads me to my second main point this morning. The good news of entering God's rest is still preached. We read in verse 2 of Hebrews 4. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. God's wonderful promise of eternal life, this good news that we have, it's also called gospel, is still being preached. It was made known to the Israelites. They had a good news. The content of their rest, the the message that they heard, was a bit different from what we have. They had that they would have this, the good news that they heard was that they would have this wonderful land, a land flowing with milk and honey, with rest from enemies, rest from camping, Uh, They'd be able to stay in these wonderful houses. That was the good news that they heard, but they nevertheless heard it. And this good news that we hear is still preached today. It was preached in the time of these uh, recipients of this letter, the, the letter of Hebrews, and it is still preached today as well. It was preached to these early Christians. They heard about the eternal life that they could have. They heard that through Jesus Christ their sins could be forgiven and they could enter into a heavenly place, that their sins would be forgiven. They'd heard through uh, people like the Apostle Peter, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, 1 Peter 3 tells us. They'd also heard from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 where he says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. They had heard this good news. It had been preached to them. And so it was not like they were ignorant of God's promise, of the good news. No, it had indeed been told to them, and they were without excuse. Ah, But is that good news still preached today? Is it still proclaimed? Do people know about the promise of God? Yes, they do. Not everybody in the world does, but a lot of people do. It is not as though for the last 
1900 years, the gospel has stopped being proclaimed. No, it is still proclaimed. Copies of God's word are still in existence and are read by people. They hear about the promise of God, that there is an eternal rest that you can enter into. They have access to God's word and people are actually preaching it as well. It's not just only to be read in the word, but people actually speak it as well. People like myself are here 2,000 years later on and we're still preaching what was proclaimed in that first century. It is not as though people aren't hearing about the promise of God. People are hearing about it. They have easy access. Many people in many countries around the world have very easy access to the gospel and have heard the gospel many times as well. This wonderful promise that we have that you can enter into eternal life through Jesus Christ. It is indeed an amazing privilege that we have that, that even now I am up here 2,000 years after Jesus still talking about it. There are so many things that happened 2,000 years ago that nobody remembers at all, and if they do, they don't speak about it much. But the gospel message is still proclaimed today and that tells us how wonderful God is as well. We looked at how wonderful God is in making a promise that goes on for generations. But we also see how wonderful it is that God doesn't just make a promise that goes on for generations, but he also proclaims that promise. God shows his mercy and graciousness and goodness in making the promise, but also making sure that people hear about the promise. We should be so thankful to God that he made the promise that we could enter into eternal life and then told us about the promise. We should be every day thanking God that he made the promise and that he told us about the promise because it is indeed only part of his mercy toward us. If God had not shown us mercy in that way, he would never have made the promise at all and he would never have proclaimed the promise to you. But God in his mercy has. So the promise stands. The message is still preached. So what are you to do to get that eternal life? If God has promised that there is an eternal life that you can have and he's made sure that you hear about it, how do you get that eternal life? How do you cash in that check? Where do you apply? What bank do you take it to? How do you get eternal life? Well, that brings me to my third main point. The way of entering God's rest is still believing. The way of, God, of entering God's rest is still believing. We look at this example of the Israelites here and the way that they failed to get the rest that was promised to them. And how did they fail? Because they did not believe. We see that they had this rest promised to them, but it was of no value to them. Why? Because they did not believe. We read in verse 2, For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they, the Israelites, did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because, why? Those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Those who heard it did not combine it with faith. We see here that 
The reason they did not enter that rest is because they did not believe the message. There's actually two translations for that uh, little text there about whether it was that they did not combine the message with faith or they did not join in the faith of the community. It's hard to pick which one it is, and so I'll I'll try and show you a little bit. Um, You may tune out for this bit, but I hope you'll tune back in. This is a little bit of textual criticism for you. Um, So it says in verse 2, But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. So the problem with the Israelites was they did not take the message and unite it with faith. They did not mix it with faith. The other possible reading is given to us in the footnote. So if you've got the NIV translation there, go down to the margin, little letter C, with the number two, and it says, Many manuscripts have, because they did not share in the faith of those who obeyed. Because they did not share in the faith of those who obeyed. So the problem was that they did not share the faith of those who did obey God and believe in his word, and enter into the rest. And who were they? Well, Joshua and Caleb. They believed. They had a faith in God. And the problem with the rest of the Israelites, they did not share that faith with Joshua and Caleb, and so they did not enter into the rest. And so it's possible that what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that the reason you don't enter into the promised land is if you don't share the faith of the believing community. You don't join in with the other Christians and believe with the faith that they have. Now, I'm probably inclined to go with the the translation that's in the margin. Um, And that's the translation of the Holman and the ESV. Uh, But in the end, it doesn't matter which one you pick. Can I point that out? In the end, what matters is having faith in God and his promise. It doesn't matter whether it is the fact that you mix that faith uh, the message with the faith, which is what you have to do anyway. Or, and it doesn't mean that uh, it, it, if you mix with the, uh, the believers in having faith, it's still good too. You're meant to have faith in the promise. So the way of entering God's eternal rest is still by believing. So if you've struggled with that as to which one it is, and uh, you haven't really followed anything that I've said, well, and you tuned out, well, now is the time to tune back in. Faith is what counts in entering into God's rest. And so what does the author of Hebrews show here? He shows that hearing the message is of no value if you don't combine it with faith. What does that mean? It means it's of no value to be in a country that only hears the gospel. It means it's of no value to be in a church if you only hear the gospel there. It means it's of no value to be in a family that regularly proclaims every day in some sort of family worship the gospel if you don't believe. It is of no value to you, just like it was of no value to these Israelites to hear the message about their promised land and then not believe it. Simply hearing the gospel is of no value. What must you do? You must hear the message, but then believe it. Because if you simply hear the message, it's of no value. In fact, it's of negative value. 
If you're in a church, in a family, in a country that regularly proclaims the gospel, it actually causes you more pain because you are without even more, even more without an excuse on the last day. Jesus actually says in Matthew 10, 14 and 15, when he speaks to his disciples, he says, If anyone will not welcome you, that's his disciples, or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. For a town to hear the good news about Jesus Christ and then reject it, not combine it with faith, means it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town on the day of judgment. And remember who Sodom and Gomorrah are, the towns Sodom and Gomorrah. They're towns that were so bad that fire actually rained down from heaven upon them. Burning sulfur destroyed them. That's how bad they were. And Jesus says, if you hear the gospel at church, in a country, in your family, from your work colleague, and then reject it and not combine it with faith, it'll be worse for you than if you were someone who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. We see the implication here so strong that hearing the gospel is of no value if you do not believe the gospel. You must believe what you are hearing. So we've seen then that The promise still stands. The gospel is still preached and believing is still the way of entering. So what should you be doing? What does the author of Hebrews encourage you to do? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point. Be afraid of falling short of God's rest. Be afraid of falling short of God's rest. And that's what he says to us in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. We have to be careful that we aren't found to have fallen short. And the word there, be careful, is actually the Greek word for fear. We're supposed to be afraid that we may not have entered into God's rest. That one day we will die and we will not enter. We should be afraid of that. We don't like the idea of fear. Our culture tries to minimize fear all the time. But fear can be a good thing. We can, it can be a bad thing if you're overly afraid about things, but fear can be a good thing. I'm afraid that people will come and pinch my stuff at my house. Now, is that a good fear or a bad fear? Well, it's a good fear because it makes me lock the doors. If I wasn't afraid of people coming to pinch stuff at my house, I wouldn't lock the doors. But because there's a good chance, although I do live in Moines and it seems that thieves uh, don't come here so much, um, but it does seem that it's possible that people from outside the community who aren't as well off as the people in Moines appear to be would come shopping here and come to my house. Shopping, I mean, as in uh, thieving. Uh, they would come here and they might come into my house and pinch stuff. And so I'm afraid of that fact. So what do I do? I lock the door. And this is a good fear that we should have here. We should be afraid that somehow we won't actually make it into that rest. We should be afraid of failing to take advantage of that great offer that God, that great promise that he has made. 
We should be afraid to fall short of God's rest is the words that he uses there. Be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of that rest. I love the image that's given there of falling short. It's uh, an image that is like uh, in marching. There's all these soldiers in a parade and they're going and then there's one who's out of step and he's kind of behind. He's lagging behind. And so he's not with the rest. Or you can think of like a child lagging behind. That you go for a walk and the child lags behind more and more. So what ends up happening? Well, if it keeps on going, what happens? The child never enters rest again, particularly if they don't know the way home. Whenever we go walking with Joshua, I like to take a pram just in case... Uh, he decides that, no, he can't walk any further and he will lag behind more and more and I have to offer him the pram that I can push you. I could carry him, but that makes me fatigued and so I always take the pram. If you lag behind, you won't enter the rest because you will be found to be out of step with the rest of the people. Verse uh, 2 says... Uh, no, verse 1, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. It's not as though you can lag behind and nobody notices, and so you still enter the rest. No, you can be found to have fallen short of it. The other way you could translate that is to be judged to have fallen short of it. God notices when you are not in step with the rest. And he judges that you're out of step, just like uh, a commander of the people that are are marching, of the soldiers. He knows when someone's out of step. He judges that person and probably makes them salute a flagpole for quite a while afterwards. He judges them and punishes them and they have no rest. And that's what God will do to you if you have fallen short, if you have not believed his message. If you have not combined that message with faith, that's how you stop being a lagger. Someone who lags behind is by combining that message of faith, that message with faith, so that you're not judged as a lagger and then someone who needs to not enter that rest, who cannot enter that rest. So this morning, do you recognize the immense generosity, the immense graciousness, kindness, goodness of God in holding to that promise that he made that is still standing today, that you can enter his rest? Do you recognize that? Do you also recognize the graciousness of God in making it known to you that he has preached that message to you? It is a wonderful act of God's graciousness that you're in this room right now hearing that message. Do you recognize that? And do you recognize that the only thing you need to do to have that eternal rest, to cash in on that promise, is believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Simply believe the message. That's a hard thing for people to want to do. It sounds too easy. They want to add works to it. They want to say, well, it has to be that if I enter the eternal rest, I believe that Jesus died for me, but I also need to give me something else. Make me attend church. Make me read my Bible every day. Make me pray long prayers. Make me have to do something for the poor. People want to add things to it. 
But the only problem with these Israelites was that they didn't believe it. We need to believe. Do you recognise that? And so then are you fearful that you may be found to have fallen short of the rest? You recognise that there is a wonderful rest coming. But then you are rightly afraid that you may have suddenly fallen, you may be found to have fallen short of it. And so then do you even now examine your own heart and see whether you believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that his work at the cross pays for your sins so that you do indeed inherit that eternal rest. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do recognise your graciousness to us today in the fact that that promise that you made so long ago about going into an eternal rest still stands and for telling us about it. Oh Lord, it would be horrible to think that there was this wonderful offer made and then we were completely ignorant of it so we do not accept it. But Lord, you have indeed told us about Jesus' blood shed for us. Lord, we pray that we may indeed accept it through faith, that none of us in this room is so foolish to think that they need to add something to the death of Christ, but that all we need to do is believe and have that eternal life. Lord, we pray for every Christian in this room that they may indeed be people who are afraid of being found to have fallen short. We pray that we may examine our hearts regularly looking at the basis of our assurance that we have eternal life and finding again and again that it is through our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we pray this in his name. Amen.